This afternoon, we are studying what Scripture teaches about the providence of God as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So we will now read Lord's Day 10 together. Lord's Day 10, what do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we are studying Scripture's teaching about the providence of God, and the providence of God is a, is a beautiful doctrine, teaching of Scripture about our great God. And we find a good summary of what God's providence is in our reading from Ephesians 1. Uh, Ephesians 1 uh, verse 11 says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has an eternal plan, and he works it out in this world. And notice that it says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. There's nothing that happens by chance in this world. God is sovereign over all. And that's why Lord's Day 10 also describes God's providence the way that it does. There it says, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby with his hand God still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly Hand. And that is a comforting thing, beloved. All things come to us by God's fatherly hand. Leaf and blade, rain and drought. Well, this past summer, we experienced actually quite a bad drought here in Manitoba, and quite a bit of the prairies experienced a bad drought. It wasn't easy for many farmers. It might not be easy for the rest of us when food prices rise as a result. But yet, even though we experience those things, at all times, even in those things, we are still in God's care. We are still the objects of his love. 
And never does any hardship separate us from that love of God. And this comforts us in many ways. God's providence, it shines through in so many ways. And one way particular that I want to highlight this afternoon, that God's providence is also a comfort, is in uh, our salvation. And the one thing we want to see this afternoon is that our salvation from beginning to end is the sovereign providential working of our Almighty God and Father. And that brings us to the sermon theme. Salvation from beginning to end is the sovereign work of our Almighty God. We'll, look, we'll see that by God's Almighty power. First of all, He brings salvation on the earth. Second, He works faith in our hearts. And third, He preserves us right to the end of our lives. So God has brought salvation upon the earth. It's only by his almighty, his ever-present power that he has done this, that he has worked everything out according to the purpose of his will. Consider what happened right after the fall into sin. After the fall, it seemed that salvation would be impossible. Adam and Eve, through their sin, they joined the devil's side. Our entire nature was corrupted by sin Not only that, Adam and Eve's children would be born with a corrupt nature too. And looking at that picture, from a human point of view, salvation seemed impossible. But because of God's almighty, ever-present power, all things are possible, including salvation. You know, perhaps at some point in your life, you made a promise But later, you found out you just didn't have the power to fulfill it. You didn't have the the power to come through. Um, Keep your promise. Put yourself into a bind, and then to your shame, you had to confess to someone, yeah, sorry, I know I promised this particular thing to you, but I can't do it. I can't keep my promise any longer. But does God ever find himself in such a situation? And the answer is no. He never puts himself into a bind where he is unable to fulfill what he has promised. He can make it happen. And here's where the providence of God is such a comforting doctrine. God always has the power to do what he promises. Nothing catches him off guard He's altogether wise. He sees all things. He has his plan of salvation. He will carry it out on this earth. He has the power to work all things to our good. And so even though the fall into sin, it spiritually devastated Adam and Eve and the entire human race, we still see God promising salvation right after the fall. And immediately, he gets to work, working out that salvation on the earth by his power. And this teaching is true of every promise God has made. He has the power to fulfill his promises, even when it looks impossible. I consider only his promises to Abraham. God promised to bless Abraham to make him a great nation. 
that descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky would come from him. And again, humanly speaking, it looked like God was promising impossible things. Think of Abraham. He was an old man. When God promised this to him, his wife was well past the age of bearing children. Appeared God put himself into a spot where he could not deliver. But again, we confess God has almighty and ever-present power. And so from Abraham, a man as good as dead, says Romans 4, God brought forth descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Not only that, but eventually from Abraham, God sovereignly brought the Savior to this earth. See, God was busy directing all history for the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, our Savior. Christ was born into the world at just the right time. In the fullness of time, God the Father sent his Son. And God the Father also directed all things so that Jesus would die on the cross to pay for our sins. You see, the the crucifixion was not some sort of unfortunate accident. No, God was powerfully working out his plan for our salvation that we would not perish, but that his son would die in our place. And God continues to fulfill his promises today, even that that promise to Abraham. We today in the country of Canada are being blessed through Abraham and and his offspring, Jesus Christ. That was a a promise God made uh, so many thousands of years ago. And here we are, we sitting here in Winnipeg are part of that fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And God will continue to, to powerfully fulfill all his promises until all is accomplished. Again, that knowledge of God's power is comforting. For God has also made promises to us. God has promised to be our God. And he confirmed that promise also through baptism. It's, it is an incredible thing. When you look at who we are and who God is, that promise that God makes, I will be your God, always be your God, seems impossible to fulfill. Right? We are born with a sinful nature. We are spiritually dead in ourselves. God is a holy God who cannot live with sinners. How can he promise to be our God? But God still has the power to fulfill that promise. He declares to us, also confirms in our baptism. You were conceived and born in sin, but I'm going to be your God. Trust in me. By my power, I will give you everything you need so that you can live with me in my presence forever. I will give you Christ to give, uh, I'll give you Christ for your righteousness. I'll give you my spirit to give you new life, that you might serve me. Look to me. Trust my power to fulfill my promises. I can do it. No matter what, trust. 
That's something we can all take to heart. God has the power to keep us in his care no matter what you might face in your life right now or in the future. He has the power to turn all things for your good no matter what, no matter if you cannot see how he could possibly do it. He can do it. The God who promised salvation to Adam and Eve, the God who promised to make a great nation out of Abraham, he has the power to do what is good for you. And he will. Look to him. Trust his power. Believe in him. Brings us to our second point. So, beloved, salvation from beginning to end is the sovereign work, providential work of our almighty God. And the very beginning of our salvation happened already before the world began. That's what we read in Ephesians 1, and listen to how it describes it. Verse 4, it says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He predestined us. That is, he determined beforehand that we should receive these wonderful benefits of Christ, of our salvation. And finally, verse 11, it says again, he predestined us to obtain an inheritance. God determined that we would receive these beautiful things. He's the author of salvation from before the, be- the beginning of the world. And then, in God's good timing, he guides our lives to bring us salvation. Consider what God has done for you. The Lord God, by his providence, has brought you the gospel of Christ, the message of salvation. He's brought it to you. Look at what Paul, inspired by the Spirit, tells the people of Ephesus in verse 13. He says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The gospel of salvation, he says, the good news. It's by believing that good news of Christ that a person is saved. And God has brought that message to you by his sovereign power. We confess in the Canons of Dort, the third article, so that men may be brought to faith, God mercifully sends heralds of this most joyful message, salvation in Christ, to whom he will and when he wills. Here we are, beloved. God has brought us This message of salvation, it's a gift from God that we can hear it. And that's why we also confess in the canons of the door, therefore we to whom so great a grace is granted, beyond beyond and contrary to all we deserve, ought to acknowledge it with a humble and grateful heart. And amen to that. This is beyond and contrary to what we deserve. God has brought us the message of salvation through Christ. 
The gospel of salvation is about what Christ has done for you. You hear some of that in verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians 1 there. It says, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That's the message of salvation that God has brought to us. In Christ, we have redemption. God has bought us back through Christ's blood. He has forgiven us our sins through the cross of Christ. And it's sheer grace that God has done us this. It's sheer grace that he's brought you that redemption. And we acknowledge also that God, by his almighty power, has worked this faith in our hearts to accept that message of salvation. Think of someone like Lydia in Acts 16. God brought Lydia the gospel message, and then it says in Acts 16, God opened up her heart so that she could respond to that message of salvation. That's what God did for Lydia. That's what God has done for us who believe. He's opened our heart so that we might receive it in faith. Paul likewise says in 1 Corinthians 12, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so that faith we have where we acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord has redeemed us by his blood. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And it's nothing that we deserve. Listen to verse 4. God shows us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. And He chose us in Christ not because of ourselves. He chose us not because we were holy and blameless. And He chose us so that we might be holy and blameless. Right? Even despite... Our sins, God chose us for these things. And this providential working of God in our lives to bring us salvation, what, did, what should it ought to do in, in us? It, it ought to make us overflowing with thankfulness to God. And that thankfulness has two main aspects to it. First, when we see God's power and salvation, it's meant to make us praise God for giving us this grace. Listen to verse 5 of Ephesians 1. It says that God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And what does he say the purpose is in verse 6? It's to the praise of God's glorious grace. His adoption, uh, he has a predestined us for adoption as sons to the praise of his glorious grace. We see the same thing in verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, again, focuses on predestination. We've been predestined to receive an inheritance by God. And what is the purpose, he says? To the praise of his glory. That God, by his grace, has given us this inheritance. That we might love him and praise him for this salvation that we have received. You know, it's so important for us to maintain God, to maintain the doctrine of election, to hold on to our confession in the cans of Dord. You see, the, the doctrine of election, it's not meant to uh, create all kinds of 
uh, questions in our minds or, or doubts even. No, it, it's meant to make us stand back and awe and confess, you know, my, my salvation is all from God. It's not because I deserved it in any way. No, from beginning to end, it's the providential working of God, and so I will praise him forever for that grace he has given to me. I don't deserve it, but I have it. And I praise my God for that. So that's the first aspect of being thankful for this salvation, praising God for it. The second aspect of that thankful living to God's power and salvation is by leading a a life of holy obedience. Remember what Ephesians 1 says. He chose us so that we might be holy and blameless before him. That's one thing God has chosen us for, so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ his Son. So we must throw away the attitude which says, oh, I've been chosen by God, I'm elect, nothing can change that, so I don't need to bother pursuing a holy life. No. That's not where the gospel brings us. He chose us so that we might be holy and blameless before him, conformed to the image of Christ. In 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter urges us along these lines, saying, Make your calling and election sure by pursuing things like self-control, godliness, and love. By doing those things, we will never fall. Brings us to our last point. Now, beloved, even though we confess that our salvation from beginning to end is the work of God, that does not mean... The Christian life is easy. In fact, it can be very challenging. We face attacks of the devil and his followers. We face temptations. We can struggle uh, with doubts. We certainly have not yet been made perfect. There are many spiritual dangers in life. And think again of what we uh, read and what we confess in Lord's Day 10. Uh, Look at the things that God might send into our lives, right? God sends us all things like fruitful and barren years, riches and poverty, health and sickness. And in his unfathomable uh, wisdom, God might just send a lot more barren years or poverty or sickness. Sometimes he does that. And likewise, the the apostles told the people of Antioch in Acts 14 that it's through many hardships that we must enter the kingdom of God. And we'll face that in our lives too. In the Christian life, uh, we'll face many hardships before we fully enter the kingdom of God in eternity. They will come. And as we go through those things, and as we look at that, we might wonder, well, what gives me confidence that I will uh, make it through to the end, endure through those hardships? You know, what gives me confidence that I will remain faithful to the end, especially when you go through uh, difficult trials, 
right, can really test our faith, uh, can doubt maybe God's love or uh, God's goodness, things like that. But here's where we must look again to our Almighty God, right? From the beginning to the very end, salvation is the work of God. There are three main things that can give you confidence for the future. The first one is found in Lord's Day 10, which summarizes Scripture. There we confess, we can always have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father. All those hardships we endure are actually sent through His fatherly love and providence. It's hard to believe that when you're going through the trials, but it's true. If He sends those trials, be sure that He will also give us what we need to endure. As we confessed, we can be patient in adversity. We can have a view to the future. We can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. So that's the first thing that gives us confidence as we look to the future. Ephesians 1, it it mentions two other things. And first, there's what we read in verses 13 and 14. There it says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So there it says, the Holy Spirit is God's seal upon you. We have seals still today. Someone might put uh, a seal in a book, a special kind of stamp. That, she, that seal shows that the book officially belongs to uh, the specific person who who has that seal. Ephesians 1 says, When you believed in Christ, you were sealed by God, by God the Holy Spirit. God was affirming that you belong to Him. And so you who believe still today, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So Almighty God lives in you. See, you're not alone in those hardships you endure when you face things like poverty or sickness or the death of a loved one or temptation or persecution or attacks from Satan. The Spirit of God lives in you. He intercedes on our behalf in accordance with God's will so that we might persevere in the faith. You are not alone As you go through those difficult trials of life, God is with you. In fact, God is in you. Verse 14 says, The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance, or down payment, a deposit on our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Again, we have down payments today too. When someone, they buy a, car or a house, uh, often they, yeah, they put a down payment on it. 
And what does that down payment signify? Well, that down payment is an assurance that the rest of the payment will follow. Well, the Holy Spirit is a down payment on our inheritance. Rest sure to follow. Now, we know that when humans make a down payment on something, sometimes they still might back out. Maybe a person puts a down payment on a house or car, but decided later on, you know what, I just can't do it. I can't make the rest of the payment. I'm bankrupt. I need to bank to back out. But beloved, this will never happen to God. God never changes his mind. When he puts a down payment on something, he is true to his word. He never backs out. He always finishes what he starts. He always has the power to fulfill the rest. And that's what gives us a supreme confidence as we look to the future, also in this broken world with all of its troubles and struggles and and trials. God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment guaranteeing the coming inheritance. Finally, we have confidence based on what Paul prays in verses 19 and 20. This is what Paul prays for the church. Uh, That you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul prayed that the church that believers might know this powerful work of God. It's a a really a stunning statement that he makes here. The same almighty power that God used when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work in you who believe. Resurrection power, that power God used to raise his son from the dead is at work in you. You can be sure that that power that raised Christ from the dead is powerful enough to sustain you to the end. No matter what hardship you might face on the road ahead in the rest of your life, think about all that Christ endured in his life, went through terrible Suffering and sorrow, he experienced the suffering of death, experiencing even the wrath of God for our sins. And yet, even though he went into that grave, God raised him up again by his powerful working. And all of us here might go through suffering that has that that feeling of, of death to it. It's that powerful working of God that will sustain us through the trials, through the troubles, through the pain. And so that even though we might be afflicted harshly, we are not crushed. 
Even though we might be perplexed, we are not driven to despair. Even though we might be persecuted, we are not forsaken by God. Even though we might be struck down, we are not destroyed. We might always carry around in us the death of Jesus, but also so that the life of Jesus and the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead might be revealed in us as we keep going in the Christian life in faith. And it's that resurrecting power of God that helps us wage, makes us wage the good fight of the faith. No matter what temptation we might face in this life as well. See, God's almighty power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, it's stronger than your sinful nature. It's stronger than your temptations. God will give us what we need to overcome. And so, beloved, always look with confidence to your almighty Father in heaven. He is the one who began this work of salvation in you, and he is the one who will bring it to completion. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together uh, hymn 48, stanzas 2, 3, and 4.